Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez, and today we're continuing our off-season recaps slash season previews for the other teams around the league and getting familiar with the competition, which I think is very important. And today is the Charlotte Hornets episode, and joining me is the co-host of the BuzzBeat podcast, a fellow Blue Wire podcast, and also does work for Sports Channel 8. Brian Geisinger. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me, man. It's always good to get some additional perspective from other people around the league. Um, and typically what I start with, I know this is a very vague question, so kind of take it in whatever direction you'd like, but how do you feel like last year went for the Charlotte Hornets compared to relative expectations? Yeah, that's actually a I think a tough question to to answer. I would put it this way. They ended up being kind of right around where I thought they were going to be before the season started. I thought they would be around ninth or tenth. Uh, I thought they would be explosive offensively. I thought they would be very bad defensively. Um, and just stacking up the rest of the Eastern Conference, it would sort of look tough for them to actually before the season started, you know, last October, last September, last fall it seemed tough for them to crack even into the, maybe the top half of the play in, but even that seemed like it was going to be a little bit of a stretch, but then they got off to such a good start and they were playing phenomenal basketball probably up until like the middle of February. And that's when things started to get a little wobbly. Um, Some of the issues on defense really started to catch up with them. Um, Guys missing games, And then, you know, Gordon Hayward goes down for the second straight season and misses essentially the final third of the year or so. They really missed his production. They they really missed his shooting, his playmaking. I mean, Hayward is is a is far from a perfect player at this point, but he can he can score and facilitate from a bunch of different levels of the court. He can take advantage of mismatches. He can be sort of like a half court stabilizer. That's something we, that's how we kind of, we referred to him on Buzzbeat a lot. And, and they definitely missed that. So at that point of the season, if we're talking like late January, early February, I'm thinking maybe they could get to five or six and stay there, you know, and, and maybe they'll actually avoid the, the play in. Um, and then, of course, as I sort of laid out, like the back third of the season was, was pretty bad. And, um, and then it just sort of culminated with the, you know, with the with a pretty terrible showing in the play-in game against Atlanta. And I think the fact that they changed coaches this offseason um, in pretty uh, comically bad fashion, um, uh, given in, including some circumstances that were out of their out of their control, to be clear, but. Um, speaks to the fact that internally they thought this team was not just a play it like a play in team, but probably a playoff team. So I don't think it's good. a good idea to extend a coach and then fire him um, nine months later because Trey young lit you up in the play in game. But that was the, that was the, um, that was the path that they went. So I think ultimately they kind of finished where a lot of people had them projected, maybe a little bit below and I think they were clearly below where internally where the franchise thought they would be assuming they were probably, I guess, expecting some type of linear progression. Like, you know, you're playing the year before. Um, I mean, I don't think they really upgraded the roster much in the off season of 2021, but I think they just thought with the growth of some of the young guys that might push them to the, into the safely into the playoffs, it didn't happen. And um and now there's they've they're you know they're staring down um a pretty tough upcoming season uh after what has been a, a you know a pretty brutal off season in a lot of different ways for the franchise now yeah really what seems like a mess of an off season and to start with the the coaching change this felt very sacramento kings or i guess kangs to me uh from another organization i guess is in a weird way nice to see to know the kings aren't the only ones <laughs> Um, but let's just start with Borrego being fired because I think this was a surprise, at least to me. And it seemed like a lot of people outside of Charlotte, how surprising was it to you as somebody that kept up with the team? And like, what were your impressions of Borrego as a coach? Because the team got better under him, but the talent got better as well for what it's worth. 
Yeah, it um it registered as a surprise, albeit I think a pretty low one for myself and, and everyone else on the on the Buzzbeat podcast. I think we talked about this a couple of months ago when the firing came down, but it was like, you know, they won 43 games this past season. They were top top six, top eight in the league in terms of offensive efficiency. Um, I think you saw some of the young guys improve. Maybe, excuse me, maybe not all of them, but there was sort of, um, I think, enough development that you could still technically point to player development, which is one of like was one of the foundational elements of the Borrego tenure. You could still say, no, this is churning out some success or there's some improvements that are happening here. But clearly... The, the the mandate was to to not just make the playoffs, but uh, I do think it was the aesthetics of how it how it ended this season with things uh, sort of unraveling and then and then again the play in tournament not looking well. Now I don't think that's again I don't think that it is wise to use you know context is important. N- missing Gordon Hayward for the backstretch of the season was was tough um, with a with a roster that already was like. Decent in terms of talent, but but not amazing. And then you you really shouldn't, if it did come down to just how bad the the play in game looked for the second year in a row. I just don't think with a with a roster that's developing, you can use just like a weird one game sample to sort of determine like the, the guy's either your guy or you're not, or he's not. And um, <laughs> you know, again, they had extended Borrego in last September and nine months later he was gone. Now I do think there were certainly some rumblings that the team had started to maybe tune him out a little bit. And as someone that's just not in the locker room, I mean, I watch every game, but I don't, I live in Raleigh, not Charlotte. I'm not around the team all that much. So I I can't, you know, that is something I cannot speak to. I do think in terms of what the effort in the communication level looked like defensively, I think maybe there's a chance there's some credence to that, but also they just had bad defensive personnel and they're a young team. So it's like, it's, it's sort of tough to, to weigh that in my opinion. Um, And how much of the blame does James Borrego get for that? I'm not sure. And then the last thing I would say with relation to, to JB, I think he did a lot of positive stuff, especially given that the franchise changed multiple times throughout his tenure. And when he first shows up, it feels like a million years ago, but Kemba Walker's still there in 2018. And the mandate is get to the playoffs. They don't get to the playoffs. They trade Kemba that offseason. Terry Rozier comes in. And then it is, we're going to rebuild. Well, then it's a one, it's, you know, it's it's a one-year rebuild, basically. Uh they they essentially tank for one season. They draft Lamella Ball, and then a week later, they stretch Nick Batum so they can acquire Gordon Hayward. And yet in each of the last two seasons when there have been chances to sort of like upgrade the roster via trade, while I perhaps narrow-mindedly have preferred that the, that the team was a little more guarded with its picks and its young players, it was not sort of like willing to dump a bunch of stuff to trade for a Miles Turner or to trade for center X or center Y. Um, it was tough that this the franchise clearly was mandating to win now, and yet at the same time was also trying to think about, well, what does this look like X number of years from now around LaMelo, right? And, and making sure you keep all of your young players and your picks intact. And like, again, generally speaking, that's good practice. It's just tough to do both of those things at the same time. Um, I think in recent years, a team like, Boston has been able to get get away with that. New Orleans is going to be able to do that now just because they have these surplus of picks from trades and they're they're also good enough. So they can win and still continue to replenish the roster through the draft. And I just think that was a tough uh, ask, um, both in terms of like roster construction and, and sort of internally what the goals and projections were for the team. So a little bit frustrating in in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. And the whole overreacting to p- potentially overreacting to a one game sample size of the play in. And I know it was a similar situation the year prior where that play in situation didn't exactly go well for them either. Um, I just rewatched that game the other day when I was watching Kevin Herter tape and it was a lot worse than I even remembered, to be honest. It was bad. Uh, it was it, it was, was really pretty bad. bad. Like it was not very close at the end of that game. PJ uh, is PJ Washington is really like the one guy that kind of showed up for them that game. It was uh 
it was a pretty poor showing. I mean, look, Trey is like Trey Young is the exact kind of player that is built to just like shred the Hornets. Just an awful pick and roll defensive team the last heck however many years. And uh, so, you know, they tried to trap him at the start of that game, but there were just the rotations and the timing. None of it was there, and it turned into a hot mess <laughs> really, really, really quickly. So, yeah, disappointing to to say the least. Yeah, and then the after Borrego, there's a interesting situation for sure where Atkinson gets hired on June 10th. Eight <laughs> days later, he pretty much decides never mind. And then... I believe six days after that, Steve Clifford is brought on board. Clifford was a guy that was also considered in Sacramento's coaching search and made it towards the later rounds of that consideration as well. Um, What's the thought about Clifford coming back? He's somebody I actually really liked for Sacramento, considering they're a team that I think is trying to make it happen right now. I, I think in years prior in Charlotte and Orlando, he's gotten the most out of what I thought wasn't maybe the most talented roster, specifically on the defensive end. Like when you're talking about, Vucevic and DJ Augustine starting for you and you have a top 10 defense I believe it is like that's really impressive even if you do count in in Aaron Gordon and Jonathan Isaac like I I think that there is a lot of uh value in that but what's the thought with Clifford um going into this year yeah welcome welcome back to Charlotte Steve Clifford uh it was uh I mean that entire eight-day period was just kind of nuts because it's like everyone has just gotten done recording all of their what, what are the Hornets going to look like under Kenny Atkinson podcast? Everyone's got done writing their things and tweeting out their clip threads. And, oh, this is how they're going to play defense. They're going to drop. And and they got the player development coach in. And, and then all of a sudden, he, he just you know, Shams or the Woj tweet hits your phone that, uh, that it's not happening. And, um, you know, I did think they might try to reopen things up with Mike D'Antoni or maybe some of the other sort of like coach uh, or some of the other candidates that they decided – uh, not to get. I mean, some of those guys got you know got uh, gobbled up. You know, Darvin Ham ended up with the Lakers, but um, it's it is probably tough to then call to to the guys that you just told we don't think you're good enough, and then to a week later call those guys back and say, hey, sorry about that. So I do think that they were looking for something comfortable, something safe, um, probably something cheap. Um, and Steve Clifford was there. I mean, like. They've kept some of the coaching staff, right? Like it's not a complete switchover of of you know the assistants and what what it's going to look like with in Greensboro with the Swarm, the G League affiliate this year. There were some murmurs that like maybe the maybe the way the franchise was asking for the coaching staff to be put in place, like maybe that was causing Kenny Atkinson to feel a little uneasy, but. If that's the case, if that is in fact the case, it was it was didn't seem to be an issue with Steve Clifford. Um, I like Steve Clifford. I think overall he's like a, a pretty good NBA coach. Is he like a top ten coach in the league? Nah, probably not. Um, but he is he like a solid coach that that does a nice job building building defenses. Um, has some player development successes underneath his belt as a head coach. I think Kemba Walker in Charlotte comes to mind pretty quickly and you know with Clifford like kind of what things are going to look like they're just going to try to like nail the small stuff they'll they'll improve the defense I think I mean they kind of have to because they've just been so bad and then you draft a guy like Mark Williams um, who I covered at Duke now he's there so in theory you have the ability to, to guard pick and roll differently when Williams is in the game assuming he's up to speed but but I'm um, sorry I'm getting I'm getting off track a little bit here. Back to Clifford. Like I think it, I think ultimately like it's a mostly fine hire. It just it's it's no, it's kind of wild too because it's it's four years after he's been gone and he's back. Um, and now the roster has completely turned over since then, uh, as has you know the front office too. But it is it's just crazy that he's back this quickly. And then the way that it unfolded, it seems sort of like. Um, they botched, they couldn't land the Atkinson decision or the, the Atkinson hire. And some of that is on Kenny Atkinson. Like, you know, he chose to stick at golden state and a year from now he'll have his, his pick in terms of head coaching opportunities, I'm sure. But Clifford solid, you know, they're going to, they're going to defensive rebound. They're going to do a better job protecting the paint. Um, 
and and hopefully they can they can find some ways to sort of like orient this offense around Lamella Ball and scheme up some ways to get a little bit more rim pressure um, because I do think that's going to be a, a pretty sizable concern for this team on the offensive side of the floor this year. But ultimately, I, I think Clifford is was fine. It's it's a fine hire, but um, certainly like not kind of like what you were just not what you were hoping for or what you were expecting. And at the end of the day, you probably wish you had just kept James Borrego for another season. Yeah. Did Borrego get picked up anywhere yet? I don't think so yet. I do know he sold his house in Charlotte recently. So (laughs) I don't think he's sticking around for for too long. Um, I don't think so, but you like that could also be, he maybe just, he certainly could get picked up, right? Like he's got, he comes from the Spurs family, all there's like 10 different guys that he was an assistant coach with in San Antonio that are head coaches in various places around the league. Um, so I'm sure at some point in time, he's going to get another look cause he's young and I think he did some good things as a head coach. Um, but he'll probably have to take a cushy assistant job for a year or two somewhere and good for him. Like I think James Ray is a good coach and I actually really liked offensively. Like I, I really liked the system they ran. I thought they I thought they squeezed more juice out of sort of like than what they actually had often. Um, not a perfect coach. There were certainly issues with the defense underneath him. There were, I think, at times questions with his rotation patterns. But for the most part, I think he does a lot of good stuff offensively as a head coach. And I'll be curious to see eventually where he does land. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I, it wouldn't surprise me to to see that happen. I think there was just a picture the other day of him, Mike Brown, and Greg Popovich all witnessing some uh, some European teams practice while everybody <laughs> was over there for for EuroBasket going on. Very cool. Your, your your point of view of that I wouldn't have considered of having to recall coaches that you just said didn't get the job <laughs> to pitch yeah. it again. That is tough. I wouldn't brutal, have considered man. that. I could see yeah. how that puts you in a pretty shit situation. Um, and in between, like Atkinson says, never mind. And then the draft is like right after. Yeah, uh, they did the draft without a head coach. There was one other team that did that too. I don't remember. I can't blanking on who it was. There was, I think it was Utah that did the draft without a head coach as well. But uh, but yeah, no, no, no head coach in place during the draft night. It's crazy. So- can you walk me through draft night? Cause draft night seemed ridiculous. Well, I'm there trying to figure out, I mean, I was very focused on Sacramento's point of view and they were high up in the draft. So it calmed down a little for me later. And then I was trying to figure out like, what is this deal? Like yeah. I was having so much trouble figuring out who got what and the reporting for, of the details didn't come out till later. They needed a center. Um, it, that seemed obvious to me and they end up getting a center, but it wasn't the one they originally drafted at 13, which was Jalen Duren. It ends up being Mark Williams later. Um, can you kind of walk me through that night? It was, yeah, man, it was, uh, it was, <laughs> it was confusing um, to say the least. And yeah, the Hornets went into the draft night with two top 15 picks, not great picks, 13 and 15, but ones that you felt pretty good about them being able to kind of do some damage with, right? Like not being able to unlikely that they're going to like be able to package those picks and move up. And ultimately I don't think that's like good draft philosophy to begin with. But you're thinking like they've got two late lottery picks. Like they should be able to get a starter out of with one of these picks. You know what I mean? Maybe or you know not maybe not next season, but you, you do a good job with one of these two picks, and you know, maybe both of them pop. But most likely, it's going to be one of them that that can be like a, a piece for them going forward. Um, they have for years been looking to get like a center, right? Uh, even before Lamelo got here, but when especially when Lamelo got here. They wanted a to find someone that could be a pick and roll partner for him, right? And then they also wanted a center that could close off the paint and protect the rim and give them a guy that could do more traditional, conservative, two feet in the paint or one foot in the paint style drop or play to the level pick and roll defense, as opposed to the last couple of years where they've played a ton of zone. They switched a lot, they've trapped. It's been kind of a hodgepodge and, and, and a bit of a mess to say the least. So, you know, you thought they were going to go Williams. You had a good feeling was going to be there at 13 or 15. And I like Mark Williams as a prospect. I, I did. Um, I did like Jalen Duran better. I, I think of him as someone that has um, a, a little more upside. He's younger. Um, he, he's a little bit more comfortable in the, on the short roll and in space. Athletically, he's special. Now, he's not as big as Williams. 
but I just like the the defensive upside of Duran, and and I think I think both of those guys are going to play in the NBA for a long time. But I just um, I think Detroit got a really really good young player with Jalen Duran. So they have thirteen picks, thirteen and fifteen. In some way, shape, or form, I'm thinking they're going to use these two picks, and they're going to get a center with one, and they're going to get a wing with the other. And I think that's like ultimately, like for my for my end, I'd rather them just draft two wings. You know what I mean? Uh, that's my thought. Just like get the get the upside wings in the door. But when when Jalen Duran fell to 13, I, I, that's a guy that I probably had top seven or top eight in the draft. Um, so a little, I was. Very excited. I thought he would have made a, a wonderful pick and roll partner to grow with next to Lamelo. Um, and then very quickly after the pick happens, you know, minutes later, kind of all hell breaks loose. Um, there are right around the same time. I think Woj had a had a tweet that the Pistons, you know, were going to acquire Duran at thirteen via a trade. And then right around then, yes, yeah, Shams had a tweet saying the Hornets were going to trade. Duran to the Knicks. So it got, it got very confusing. Um, but ultimately, uh, it ended up being like a three team deal with New York and Detroit. Duran gets routed to Detroit. Uh, Kemba th- through New York gets salary dumped to uh, Detroit or through New-, through New York gets salary dumped to Detroit. New York picks up two first round picks. Um, the Hornets pick up a 2023 first round pick uh, from New York, which is uh, actually Denver's pick. So not that good of a, a pick. And then they also grabbed four second round picks. Um, three of them will be next season. Uh, I doubt they're going to keep all of those. My guess will be they'll you know use one in a trade at some point in time, or Michael Jordan will sell one for money, which is something that they haven't done in a long time, but is like an, an MJ as owner 1.0 tactic that we could see uh sooner rather than later i would not surprise me and then they draft mark williams at 15 uh and it was just a strange and kind of crazy period of time i think there were a lot of good wings they passed up on i mean seeing tari eason go to houston at 17 that's a guy that i i would have loved for them to have taken at 13 to think they could have gotten jalen duran and tari eason at 13 and 15 in this draft or they could have gotten Jalen Duran um in AJ Griffin or they could have drafted Mark Williams at 13 and gotten Griffin or Easton at 15. I mean there's so many guys. Blake Wesley's another guy. I think they they could have really would have been a nice guy to get in the door. Um same with Malachi Brandon. Both those guys ended up going to the Spurs in the 20s. But um ultimately they essentially at the end of all of this they essentially sold the number like the rights to the number 13 pick essentially. Do you know what I mean? And that weird asset asset management, I gotta say it's not, I mean, it's bad. Like it's just bad. They, they, they sold it so they could, they could keep a little bit of space um, uh, off the, off the books in theory, thinking they were probably going to, you know, maybe max out miles bridges in a couple of days. And then that goes to, you know, then that, uh, thing that takes a very very dark turn uh, for reasons that aren't just basketball related, obviously. With you know days later, right? Um, and so, but ultimately, I think they were trying to save the the four to five million dollar salary slot that would come with the thirteenth pick, right? And they, they definitely tried to so they could use that space to go, um, you know, you offer Bridges more money or whatever, um, and. They tried to frame it as, oh, we traded this pick. We picked up all these these draft assets. But the stuff that they got in return, again, the, the 2023 first-round pick that they got from New York, which is a which is Denver's pick, like, dude, that could be, like, the 30th pick in the draft, you know? Yeah. Like, they got, they got a second-round pick from Utah in the deal, I believe. And it's like that, that too, came uh, via New York. And those two picks, like the Denver first round pick and the Utah second round pick, those could be like four draft slots apart yeah. from one another, you know? So it's not, it's not, I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. aren't fully recovered and the Nuggets aren't as good as they're projected to be. I think they're going to be awesome this year. 
but that's going to be like the 28th pick in the draft. You know, <laughs> like it's it's not a great draft asset. So you use the you used a late lottery pick to add a crappy first round pick in some other draft fodder, just like a bunch of second round picks. Um, and it was just not it's just not a good use in for uh, of of draft assets of picks and for a team that's trying to build this up around Lamelo and some of the other young guys that are in the that are in the facility it is uh it's it's just it's pretty irresponsible in in, in my opinion um and then just the way the the offseason has unfolded it's like they haven't you know they haven't signed anybody like they they have 13 guys on the roster currently um, I thought I was crazy. <laughs> I was like, dude, I have to be forgetting someone or something. No, I mean, no, I mean, like, like they they have thirteen guys. I do think they'll use one in, that in, that that thirteen does not include Bryce McGowan, who they ended up drafting at fortieth in the second round. They traded up in the second round to get him. I actually thought that was a pretty good pick. Like I I like Mark Williams a lot as a prospect, but I just um it, this is not a knock on Williams. I think he's going to be good for them for a long time, but. It's just you go into the night thinking, expecting to get X amount of value out of the draft, and they got way less, way less. Um, and yeah, I do think they'll use one of those extra roster spots to sign a veteran point guard. It could be Kemba Walker, like it could be him. Maybe it's Dennis Schroeder. Um, there are not a lot of like great names at this point floating around, but they need someone else that can dribble the basketball because right now your backup point guard minutes are going to be. Terry Rozier or James Booknight. Um, and Rozier's your starting two guards. So like they're gonna have to figure they're gonna have to use one of those spots on that. Um, and then I suppose they're keeping one of those other spots available for um, you know, for I I don't know what the hell's gonna happen with Miles Bridges, man. Like I just don't um I, I do know that there was a you know, there was an update earlier this week on his court case. Um, I think there's, you know, maybe by the middle of September, we'll have more of an idea, but like, I'm going to be honest, man. Like I don't like talking about miles bridges, like a basket, like as a basketball player. Right. And I don't really want to see him in a Hornets uniform again. Um, for those who are unfamiliar, Google the details. It's pretty horrific. Uh, what occurred, uh, with him and his family this off season. So, um, I, you know, I don't know. It, again, this was an off season that really, really was uh, kind of a disaster. Even the fa- even though I think they drafted two good players, like I think Williams and McGowan's are good. McGowan's is going to be a two way guy for them this year. Um, I suppose they could convert him to a, a full time contract or whatever, and have him be one of the fifteen guys. But um, for for now, he's 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 on he's set to be a two way guy for them. So. And then again, they signed no one in free agency. So strange off season. Uh, they did not improve the uh, the roster very much. And um, and you know, again, I just I know I just mentioned I don't like talking about Bridges as like a player because it ultimately like it doesn't. What's happening with the Hornets next season like doesn't actually matter. You like they're a mediocre basketball team, but like. There he's he was he was really coming into his own as a as an impressive like young player in the league, and they are going to, assuming he's not playing next season, um, you know, his they're gonna have to try to find other ways to generate offense and generate rim pressure because that was what he did, um, on a on a, on a big time basis for them really the last like one and a half seasons. Yeah. Um talking about that sort of stuff I think is what surprised me the most just kind of getting into all of this in in sports media and having to talk about different tough scenarios like that and the bridges one is just some of the most disgusting behavior but you know I I think that we are kind of forced to talk about it from the organization's point of view as well and it does put them in a pretty tough situation here as well and um, also like in preparation for this, I'm trying to lay out their roster and their moves this off season. And I swear, I thought like, I was like, I must be missing something. They mm-hmm. really did nothing. And I, I just don't see how this team is better. They're, they're yeah. not, I mean, they're, they're not. <laughs> like, is there any, they're, they're not like, better. Is there, any, I mean, like, what are, what are the optimists? Like, is it the, like LaMelo think, outlier growth or something? Yeah. I think LaMelo makes like a, in like, look, he just turned 21. He's awesome. Right. He's super good. 
but like, I, and I, I'm sure he, like, he's still getting better. And I think he's going to be awesome for them next season, even though I, I do think because they're going to ask him to do even more in terms of shot creation that that could also like affect him adversely in certain ways too, but he's incredible. So yeah, the reasons for growth optimisms for growth would be, uh, and just in terms of like, if we're just focusing on next season, we're not thinking like uh, building this thing up long term or, or intermediate term around LaMelo for just focusing on the 22, 23 season, it would be LaMelo outlier growth or just like, you know, something beyond sort of like what you could like reasonably project for him next season. Um, it's that Williams is ready to play from day one. And all of a sudden he can start at center and you don't have to play Mason Plumley, and you could just have your center rotation be, you know, some combination of Mark Williams, PJ Washington, and um, you know, maybe Kai Jones. I think the other thought would be like Kai Jones or JT Thor take a jump right in as second year guys um i thought thor played well as a rookie i really liked him as a prospect coming out of auburn he did not have the good summer league in vegas kai jones is dripping with both those guys yeah i do i do too and kai jones is dripping with talent like in is is like is an outlier athlete for a guy that length and size um in terms of flexibility in terms of his vertical pop but doesn't really have a home defensively and offensively it's tough when he's like the four like he really needs to play a small ball five for them that's like really when he's at his best um but then what are you doing defensively if that's the case you know like it gets it just gets tough he's not a guy that you can rely on to like anchor a defense but i also don't think he can be your four your four guy and have the guy that is you know the back line low man right and is giving you rip protection is is in the right places at the right time as a help guy, but he's talented. I think that would be the hope. Part of this is also like book Knight makes a jump. PJ Washington makes a jump. Like they have enough young guys that I think you could say like, well, if, if, if over half of these guys make some jump and for some of them, it's more, it's more meaningful than others. Lamelo specifically. And then I don't know, maybe you use Plumley and Ubre, which are two tradable contracts and you use some of your draft capital to trade for, uh, you know, I don't know, man. Miles Turner, I don't know. A wing, like I, I don't really know. Um, that th- those would be the thoughts. But uh, to your point, like about what they also did, didn't do this off season. The one thing they did, I guess, is they did. Uh, they brought back uh Cody Martin, thirty-two million over four years. I think that's a pretty fine contract. Like he earned it. Good for him. It's a pretty like unglamorous path from five years in college basketball to second round pick starting in Moxville, North Carolina, which is not the nicest town in the world to five years in college basketball to second round pick to earning a four year, $32 million contract is impressive, but like no extension for PJ Washington, right? Who was also drafted in 20. It was a lottery pick in 2019. Like you extended your second round pick from, from that year and not the lottery guy. I thought, Maybe there was a chance they'd look to lock into some cost certainty with PJ, and maybe they did. There were there was no reporting of that, but maybe that's something they tried to do. And in, in PJ and his representation balked at that. Um, but I kind of thought maybe they would try to lock him into a number. Uh, and, and maybe what, what try sort to get of some- number do you think is reasonable for PJ? I, I think he is somebody that you know Holmes has been linked to the Charlotte a lot. And anytime I look at it from the Kings' point of view, PJ is a guy that's intriguing. But that's only like if the financial situation is going to be tough for Charlotte down the line. Um, yeah. 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 What do you What do you think is a reasonable number for him? Well, and also, like, let me preface this by saying, like, I am pretty high on PJ. I think I am mindful of his limitations. Um, he's not a guy that creates his own shot. Um, he's not a guy that, you know, he really needs to play off of advantage is what I'm saying. And like, th- that was one of the things that's partly why he's so good with, with LaMelo, but he's, he's an incredibly versatile two way player. Like I think of him as like a high level role player that can be on the court in the playoffs. You know what I mean? Like in le- like, I think eventually he's the kind of guy that could be on the floor in leverage minutes of a playoff game. Um, and he can guard a couple of different positions. So I think for PJ, as far as money goes, I mean, like, I'm sure the team probably thinks of him more as like a 10, 12 guy, 10, 12 million a year. 
And I think that's like not even like a totally unreasonable number, but I, I think PJ in terms of like his value is worth, like I think he's probably closer to like 15, 18 a year. Um, but to be clear, like I am on the high end uh, in terms of uh, PJ, but this guy, he's seven, three wingspan. He can protect the rim. Some like he can anchor a defense when you play zone, he can switch and guard a bunch of different positions. And like, he had some excellent switch possessions against like, I'm talking about like high level one-on-one offensive players, Trey Young, Chris Middleton, Giannis, uh, DeMar DeRozan. Like he switched out and, and handled those guys at different times this season. He's a big time above the break three-point shooter. And he's been, he was not very good from the corners this year, but his first two seasons, he was cash from the corners, but high volume, high efficiency, above the break, three-point shooter, a dynamic pick-and-pop player who at times has shown the ability to put the ball on the deck and attack closeouts, make plays, and can can pick and roll, can pick and pop, can short roll and pass out of the short roll. Like, he's a he's a damn good player. I actually think he and, like, I mean, I don't want the Hornets to trade him to Sacramento. But like, he and Sabonis would be, like, an awesome front court uh combo they they would they would they would pair i think very nicely together in a lot of different ways so that's probably where i would put pj somewhere in the 15 to 18 year range um i think it would have been awesome if they could have signed him to a you know 60 million over four year deal you know what i mean this offseason that that kind of like extension um i would i would be comfortable going above that but um you know ultimately i have no idea where where a lot of the league sees him or the team sees him because there were just like no those negotiations did not happen in public at all this offseason if there were any yeah it, it's crazy because like 10 million weirdly sounds so low now you yeah. know in, in today's nba like for a guy that I, I think is a starter in the league like has been a starter in the league and probably could continue mm-hmm. to get better he's still young just this is about to be his fourth year i believe um and just especially from the Kings point of view, it's so valuable. I, I've come to realize like how often I'm looking for these perfect complementary players. Right. Mm-hmm. And PJ, just for all the reasons you laid out, absolutely screams that and, and specifically looking for a four that can shoot and also be somewhat of a difference maker on the defensive end, give you some uh, bits and pieces of rim protection along with the switching. Like, absolutely. I've always thought that PJ was a dream. Um, this is where I try to pitch you. Is there any, what does a, is there a potential Rashawn Holmes trade or even Harrison Barnes trade? Every person that I'm having on this pod, is there any <laughs> Harrison Barnes or Rashawn Holmes interest? I mean, like, I, like I would like, let me start first with Holmes. Like to, I thought Holmes is a guy that Charlotte should have tried to have signed in 2021, like last off season. Um, I think they, Look, they had they were pretty busy in 2021, and I think they had some some good and some bad that off season. I mean, the Plumlee trade, which allowed them to also move up in the second round and draft Thor. Like I like that, but that also took away some uh, some of their cap space, and then probably maybe that pushed them out of the the home sweepstakes. Um, I didn't really like them trading Devonte Graham, but it ultimately led to a first round pick, the pick that became Mark Williams 15 in the draft this year. Um, and, you know, Devonte was not that great for the Pelicans this year either. I don't even really know how much a part of the long-term picture he'll be there. We'll see. Um, so I don't think like there might be a Holmes trade, but it, it's centered on Williams is not ready. And you think Holmes could be a, what a one to two year stopgap, or he has what two years left on his deal. Is that how many it is for Holmes? I think. It I'm might be pretty sure. three. It's uh two and then a player option on the third. Okay. And that player option. Okay. Yeah. For 12, three seasons from now, I mean, probably a good chance. He wants to pick that up, honestly. So, but maybe it depends on how he's playing in, in two years. I think there's a potential for it because they looked really good running pick and roll this past season. Like when Montrez Harrell was in there. Um, it, I don't think the numbers were great, but if you watch them play, like the Lamelo Montrez Harrell empty corner pick and roll was pretty damn good for them, um, and opened up a lot of stuff. Even if those guys didn't score out of the the pick and roll, like the direct pick and roll screen. Mm, so I think it does exist because I think there's a need for to find someone that can like really roll and short roll and and hit floaters because Plumlee like can't do that stuff. 
And a lot of times LaMelo Plumley pick and rolls just like die on the vine. Like Plumley catches in space in the middle of the court on a short roll. And I mean, he can dribble and do stuff with the ball, but he just can't score it. And so teams can just challenge him just to shoot a floater or foul him. And all of a sudden the possession is just like, it's toast. Like it's just not nearly as, as, as valuable. Um, Charlotte has lots of stuff to trade. I wouldn't be in the market for this deal to be clear. Like I just, I would say thanks, but no thanks. You know, we're going to build this up around Mark Williams. We are trying to develop Kai Jones. We want him to have some center minutes. It's important for us to have PJ to keep playing some center minutes. I think they're going to need to do that. Even with all these different guys that have to play center. I just think they've got to be able to play PJ some there to close halves, to close games because they need him for five out offense like that. He's the guy that they get to, that they play at the five to get five out. But yeah, I mean, they, I think there are really easy deals you could do. That would be, you know, Plumlee's expiring contract or Kelly Oubre's, ex, ex, you know, expiring contract. And stands out to me. Some in some draft capital, right? Like that, that would be the, that's probably the deal that it's going to cost the Hornets, I don't know, first, protected first, probably, or two seconds. I, I don't know what, like, I'm not sure where Holmes's value is, but I think it's something like those are probably what it looks like. Um, Barnes is a guy that I think they could absolutely be in the market for. Um, it's a good number he's on. I think the Hornets have have salaries they could use to, to swing that deal. Um, some combination of Ubre Plumley, like something in those in in those, and it's it sends draft capital to Sacramento. But like, I'm not sure if that's also like I could be messing up the this proposition from Sac's point of view. Like they're probably looking for guys that can help them win this season, and I don't think like Plumley and Ubre are are those players, you know. Um, yeah. I think it would be pretty foolish to include PJ in either of these types of transactions. Um, Barnes is a good player, but you know he's an expiring contract, and he doesn't help your rim pressure issues at all offensively, right? At least I don't think he. I'm not sure what what Barnes's like rim numbers are, but I'm guessing a lot of what he gets at the rim comes on transition and cuts and you know yes. putbacks. Like not, it's not like he's like running pick and roll and getting to the rim or whatever. Um, Maybe for the first two weeks of the season and that's about it <laughs> yeah that's so uh, that's that's like i just i think charlotte has a lot of guys like that 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 have that kind of um profile on offense um I, again i like harrison like i think barnes is a good player i mean that's like a nice trade asset if, if sacramento wants to go that route and i mean i think barnes could also help a, a winner whether it's sacramento or if they they ship him out somewhere this season like i think both those i think i think those guys absolutely have like positive trade value for Sacramento. I'm just not sure there's a deal to be made here for Charlotte in part because like, I don't know what their plan is for this season, man. Like, I don't know if Charlotte wants to make, I mean, I'm sure they want to make the playoffs, but like on paper, they're not ready for it. And this is a, a 2023 draft that is loaded with guys, um, has a ton of wings and has some guys at the top uh, center and Victor Weminyama and a, a guard prospect in Scoot Henderson that everyone who's listening to this knows about. And those guys would be huge additions for Charlotte. So, I mean, I think they should be looking at like a, a one-year sort of like pause and reset and, and let's go get a top five pick or a top three pick and try to get one of these guys. Um, but who knows? Maybe they're going to be feeling the need to really like put the pedal down and win now. Uh that would be the the likely mo for an mj team for a steve clifford team but we'll just see like the you know if injuries pile up if the record's not good enough i'll be curious to see how they how they behave so i think deals exist i just don't think they make a ton of sense really for either side even if like the numbers line up and even if guys like barnes and holmes conceivably could help charlotte in in certain ways holmes especially i think yeah, definitely makes sense. I, I think, yeah, PJ would be like the hopeful gem from Sacramento's point of view, but I totally yeah. understand why Charlotte's perspective wouldn't be interested. And then if there was something about, around uh, Kelly Oubre, like I, I could see it. And yeah. I, I think when it comes to HB being involved in that, I, I think it would just have to be that they know that HB's walking at the end of the year for nothing and they think that they could e keep Oubre around. Like, yeah. and, and even then, I don't feel great about it. Like, I would talk myself into well what if this year went really well in the 
play in and maybe steal mm-hmm. a game in the first round or something, then can you repitch this to Harrison Barnes? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I, I, it's a definitely a, a little bit of a tricky situation there. Ubre Ubre stinks, man. Like he's not <laughs> like he's like not good. Um, I, I mean, he, yeah. he has some. He like he has the ability to catch fire and be like a, at times be like a pretty special three point shooter. Like five nights out of the year when he's just feeling it, and he can make some tough shots. And you can like run actions for him. Like you can you can put him in as a movement shooter. You can use him like that. Um, but like his his assignment defense is is awful. Um, and man, it's just like the advantage just stops every time he gets the ball on offense, unless he shoots it, you know, like he just, the decision-making, the processing is just not that good. So, uh, um, certain nights it's really fun to have him because he can be a demon in transition and he can get really hot and hit a bunch of threes. But, um, I just don't like, like he should be a, a, like a bit rotation guy, not, not a guy who's like in your top, you're a winning team he's not in your top seven or eight you know like it's just that yeah. it's he's not like that he's not that kind of contributor that makes sense that that definitely makes sense and i guess i partially look at it because the king's back of three right now might be kevin herder their starting two guard which sounds <laughs> similar to your terry rosier situation and then after yeah. that you're talking like casey Paula, kent baseball terrence davis so they're pretty yeah. thin at that position right now, specifically. <laughs> uh, so yeah. maybe that's why I look that way a little bit, but totally understand where you're coming from. And it's going to get your perspective on, uh, yeah. yeah, on Kelly, because he seemed to be a little bit polarizing. And maybe it's just like good stretches here and there that, that people highlight and, and hold on to for a little bit too long. Mm-hmm. But the last uh, couple things I got for you, Brian, before I get you out of here, sorry, we're running a little bit longer. No, is, all good. I've been, I've been rambling. So apologies from totally my fine. end here. <laughs> Makes it easy on my end, man. No worries at all. Um, I like to get outsider's perspective on the Kings. And I know this can be tough for some people. If, if I mean, especially Eastern conference, um, mm-hmm. people that cover teams in the Eastern Conference. Like, I don't not expecting everybody to keep up with everybody super close, but uh just two questions for you on your perspective on the Kings. Like, what do you make of a Fox and Sabonis pairing? How good do you think that that duo can be? I'm intrigued by it. Um, I like both those guys individually quite a bit. I think maybe even a little bit more, sort of like the general consensus. I mean, this is a huge year for Fox. Uh, I think at least just from my own perspective, um, I like the way those guys complement one another in certain ways. It just feels like there's so much you can kind of do with Sabonis because his ability to, to, to be a handoff guy, to be a screener, to be a short roll guy. Um, he kills the Hornets every time they play. Um, he just absolutely bullies them. So I, I like that combination and I actually kind of like some of the pieces they have around it. Like I, I'm a big Malik Monk guy. Like I have been since he was at Kentucky. I, I hope can't believe goes. I didn't ask you about Monk. How'd that go over yeah. my head? I, I, uh, it's cool to see he and Fox reunited. Those guys are buddies going back to their days in Lexington together. Um, I like Monk a lot. I'm happy for him that he bet on himself with LA this past off season and turned it into a nice little contract with the Kings. So I'm, I'm, I hope it goes really, really well for Malik. I'll always pull for that guy. Um, because he had kind of an up and down first four years in the, in the league, but he really started to put it together his last season in Charlotte. Um, you know, he can be a little up and down defensively, but offensively, he's a guy that can really do a lot of different stuff and can get to the rim, can get a piece of the paint with a dribble, can pass, can throw a bunch of different kinds of passes, can get hot as a shooter, can shoot off movement. So I think he, I kind of like him in this mix and I kind of like just what uh sack has in the backcourt, like Fox and um, Mitchell Herder monk. That's cool. I'm excited to see Keegan Murray, like outside of summer league. I, uh, I don't know where you came down on this. I mean, I, I would have gone Ivy at four. I, I like really, really like as a prospect, Ivy. but, but Murray is awesome too. Like he's a good player. I just would have felt better drafting him at like eight or nine. Um, and not for when Jaden Ivy is, uh, hanging right there. So, uh, but I'm fascinated to see, I just, I think the West is tough. If this team was in the Eastern conference there, I feel like they're, 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 you know, they're easily in the plan or pretty safely in the plan. And just, it, I don't know. We'll see how it goes in the West. There's just, it, I mean, stating the obvious, but there's just, it's crazy how many good teams are out there. 
Yes, and that's my next question for you, Brian. I think that this is the fifth. Um, I think this is the fifth team I've done so far, which I got to speed up the pace a little bit if I'm going to finish <laughs> this by the start of the regular season. Uh, but I, I believe we're two and two at this point on this question. Do you think that the Kings break their 16-year playoff drought? And playoffs is not play-in. They would have to win the play-in. Right, right. <laughs> um, uh, I, I'm going to say... I, I think I'll it's say, what you pointed out, that the West is really tough. Like, it looks yeah, like a playoff I'll, team. I uh, I apologies, but no, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I mean, I think they're, I think they're in the play in probably um, just because there's such a difference between the teams that are going for it in the West and not going for it. Like, you know, it's not going to be Houston. It's not going to be Utah. It's not going to be uh, San Antonio, but then it's just like a bloodbath after that. So I'll say no. I hope I'm wrong though, because um Man, they just like that's a long time to not be in the playoffs. And uh, <laughs> uh, as, as someone that that covers one of the other more underwhelming franchises uh, in the NBA with the Hornets, I root for small markets. I want them to do well, and um, I'm so I'm hopeful for the Kings. I just, it, man, I don't know. It just it feels like it's going to take them exceeding expectations and one or two teams falling below that in the West for them to really have a shot. I absolutely agree for what it's worth. I am definitely a no there. Um, I I absolutely agree with what you said that it's going to take one or two teams above them, just like crumbling and something to go horribly wrong for whatever reason, which there's at least like one team every year. Yeah. It it feels like, so you never could happen. Yeah. It totally could. It totally could. It's, it it's also not, could be the Kings for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah. You know, let's hope not. But yeah, I suppose that possibility does, uh, does exist. Yeah. So, all right, Brian, that's all that I have for you again. Brian Geisinger, who covers the Charlotte Hornets on the Buzzbeat podcast, also part of Blue Wire. Um, any final thoughts, Brian, before I get you out of here? Nope. Uh, thanks for having me on. And yeah, if you guys are curious about the Hornets at all, uh, just make sure to check out uh, the Buzzbeat podcast. It's in all of your like, like, uh, like you said, it's on all of your all. It's on Blue Wire. It's on all. You can find it in any podcast app. And we'll be doing one to two episodes per week throughout the season. So if you're curious about Lamelo and uh, the Hornets, please make sure to check that out. Absolutely, can't say enough about uh, the work you guys do. Did a lot of listening to that in preparation for this, and you guys do great coverage for sure. And your own Twitter as well. I, I'm a big. Uh, I like the nuances of the game and and clearly you're the same and breaking down a lot of film and that's at B G E I S underscore bird. So definitely be sure to give Brian a follow there and thanks everybody for listening to this episode. Also take a look at the Kings Herald. Uh, I just put out a piece on Amias Cata's couple games with Portugal. There'll be a couple more breakdowns coming down from Eurobasket and um, all, all, anything else Sacramento Kings related, obviously, from myself and all the other guys and gals there. So take a look at the Kings Herald and their Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast, please follow, rate, and review and hear from us again in the next couple.